Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Welcome to SoundBites. My name is Corinne Pettit, and before we get started on today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to let you know that this will be my last episode as your official host of SoundBites. I want to thank you all so much for your support over the last nearly three years. This has been such a fun project and turned into such a great show, and that's in part from our great listeners and the support that you've given us. I do plan to possibly come back from time to time, and so I hope to hear you then. But today, I feel fortunate to have a conversation about the very relevant topic of bullying with renowned psychologist Dr. Katherine Sanderson. Dr. Sanderson is a Polar Family Professor of Psychology and Chair in the Department of Psychology at Amherst College where she has a teaching interest in psychology and social psychology. She's also a global authority on social personality psychology with expertise in issues addressing social influence, close relationships, health-related behavior, sports psychology, and more recently, the psychology of good and evil. Her research has been funded by the National Science Foundation and the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Sanderson is the recent author of Why We Act, which addresses how we witness and experience bullying and why we fail to intervene when needed. Welcome, Dr. Sanderson. It's a pleasure to have you on Soundbites today to address the very relevant topic of bullying, which affects youth and adults. So to start our conversation, can you please define bullying and the types of behavior often associated with bullying? Well, first, thank you so much for this invitation to talk about such an important and timely topic. So I'm, I'm so pleased to be doing this conversation. Psychologists describe bullying as any form of aggressive behavior in which someone intentionally and repeatedly causes another person harm. That could be physical injury, but it could also be discomfort. So when we talk about bullying, it actually can refer to a range of different types of behaviors. It can include physical contact. It can also include words, so verbal aggression. And it can also include subtle actions. So bullying really describes a range of different types of behaviors that we might see. Yeah, just listening to your comments, we see a lot of the behaviors you just mentioned. Well, and I think that's actually really important to recognize because I think that for the older adults listening, when we think about bullying, we might have an almost outdated view that this is two kids, you know, punching each other in a locker room or on a school bus or in a hallway. And yes, that absolutely can be bullying, but that's not the only definition of bullying. And so I think one of the important parts about having this conversation is recognizing that bullying in fact, may not be how you might assume it is, and that it can actually represent and describe a range of different types of behaviors, physical as well as verbal. Definitely. It's so important to recognize such behaviors and how to counteract bullying when it occurs. What actions can someone take if they find themselves being bullied through rude behaviors or even comments? 
So I think one of the most important things is frankly to label what is happening. So many times people will say, well, no, that's not bullying. That's just teasing or that's just joking. And they'll downplay the severity of what the bully is doing or saying. We see this very commonly with what psychologists call social ostracization. So excluding somebody, not inviting them, and deliberately restricting their access to a table in the cafeteria or the desired seats on the bus or in a social setting. Ostracizing someone can also be seen as bullying. So it's important to say, hey, you know, this is bullying or this is how I feel. And calling out the person who is doing the behavior lets them understand that regardless of their intentions, that behavior is being felt as problematic in some way. It's important for the person who's being bullied to call out that behavior, but perhaps even more important is for people around that person to call out the behavior. Sometimes the person who's being victimized really doesn't feel comfortable for a variety of reasons speaking up. So it's important to label the behavior as bullying and to interpret how it's being felt by the person. But that person who calls out the behavior does not have to be the person who is the victim of the bullying. Yeah, so that's a great lead into our next question. So we all desire to do what's right. And we also look to others to guide our actions. So if someone witnesses acts of bullying yet fails to take action due to the response of others, doesn't this simply compound the issue? And why is inaction or the bystander effect such a problem? What is the right action to take? That's an essential question, perhaps even the most important question, because here's the challenge. If somebody is being bullied and there are other people around and they're witnessing it, if none of those people speak up, it conveys to both the person being victimized and the person who is the bully that everybody else is okay with that behavior. So silence in that case is in fact indicating complicity. It's indicating this isn't problematic. And that conveys a really problematic message to the person who's bullying that they learn, oh, I guess everybody else thinks this is fine. It also makes the victim feel, oh, I guess everybody else is fine. And here's the challenge, and this is really the bystander effect. In many situations of bullying, everybody who's watching it is horrified. They think the bully is a jerk. They think the bully is engaging in problematic behavior. And yet, because everyone is silent, they think, oh, I guess I'm the only one. Everyone else is okay with this behavior. And that leads to a condition known as pluralistic ignorance in that each individual person might find the behavior problematic, but they assume by other people's silence that everyone else is okay with it. And that silence allows the behavior to continue and in fact, even to escalate. Yeah. And how can someone speak out? It seems that part of the issue is fear. How can someone speak out against bad behavior without fear of confrontation or repercussions? And that is, as you identify, such a concern that many people are afraid. If I speak out, then the person will attack me or then I'll be blamed or I'll feel stupid or embarrassed. So in all honesty, I don't think there's a one size fits all answer to this question. What I think is that people should recognize that they have a repertoire of different tools they can use. In some cases, you can go and talk to someone else about what you've seen. 
So a child, for example, may worry about calling out that behavior, but maybe can talk to a teacher or the school nurse or a guidance counselor or a coach or their parents or somebody else about what they've seen. In some cases, you can report that behavior anonymously. That's, of course, the case when we see whistleblowers, for example. In other cases, it can be talking to people in private and saying, I find this concerning. Do you as well? Many people feel more courageous when they find a friend. It can be hard to call out behavior alone, but if you find a friend who's willing to speak up with you, we can take greater courage in that situation. It's also the case that sometimes we can call out problematic behavior in a way that feels safer. So you don't have to say, for example, you're a jerk or, or you're stupid, or, you're a bully. Sometimes you can say, hey, you know, you probably are just meaning that as a joke or you think it's teasing, but really I know that my younger brother was bullied and it really made him feel bad. Or I remember a time in which someone said that to me and it really made me feel bad. So maybe we shouldn't use that language or maybe we shouldn't make those kinds of jokes. So finding ways of getting the bully or the bystanders on your side without making them feel stupid or hateful can also be a strategy in some cases that can be effective. Yeah, absolutely. And partly why we're here today is to talk about psoriasis. Since it is an inflammatory, very visible skin disease, it can at times lead to incidents of bullying or inappropriate comments about how someone looks. So in general, nationwide, about 20% of students ages 12 to 18 experience bullying. Given that, let's say bullying occurs at a school from either another child or adult during recess or in the swimming pool due to the visible scaling and lesions on the face, scalp, or even their legs. How should the child and parent react to such bullying? I'm guessing storming into the school probably is not the right approach. It's probably not the right approach. But as a mom, of course, I understand that that would be a very appealing option whenever anyone says or does something hurtful to my child. So I think there are a couple of different solutions in that case. I think one of the key factors is what's driving the comment. So in some cases, it might be ignorance, that you might have this belief, oh, this is contagious or this is problematic. And so being able to take that opportunity of giving your child or giving teachers in that environment a simple tool they can say, oh, I know that you might think this is problematic, but actually it's not contagious. This is what it is. So I'm taking this opportunity to educate people. And I'm assuming that their comment, which is hurtful, is due to their ignorance. I used to have the belief that this kind of a condition was going to be problematic, but science tells us acts, have no fear. So it could be a teachable moment. In other cases, the person isn't ignorant. They're just being sort of hateful or confrontational. And I think in those cases, it's actually really important to be able to give the child tools they can use to speak up. You know, that really hurts my feelings. And in reality, this isn't contagious at all. It can be something that is important to say. But again, I also think it's important for children to not bear the brunt of having to do all of the education about their particular condition, getting allies in a situation that can speak up instead. So maybe your child has a teacher or a coach, an adult in a situation that they can confide in. Sometimes people say hurtful things about my skin condition. I want you to know that it's not contagious. And I would appreciate it if you could speak up when someone says something. 
If your child has a good friend who maybe can speak up instead and say, hey, stop teasing Timmy or Sarah. Don't you know that psoriasis is a skin condition that doesn't impact you at all? So giving the child tools to help explain their condition can be helpful, but so can getting allies or upstanders in a given environment who maybe can speak up as well. Oh, yeah. Education is always a great idea. And the National Psoriasis Foundation does have resources for parents and school staff, which includes a presentation to help inform school staff and classmates about what is psoriasis and that it's not contagious. And that's why understanding here are the resources that are available coming into a new situation, starting a new school or a new summer camp or a new athletic team and giving that information to coaches. In some cases, coaches or teachers could also convey that information ahead of time, just like you would if there was a child in a class, for example, who was bald because they had, in fact, undergone treatment for cancer. Other kinds of education can help prevent harmful comments when those comments are made out of ignorance and not out of malicious intent to harm. So sometimes kids and teens might be in a circumstance of bullying and they just don't say anything. How can parents recognize signs of bullying when a child refuses to say something out of fear of making the situation worse? And what are some of the red flags parents should look for? And furthermore, what actions can be taken to help prompt a discussion about bullying to help resolve the situation? I know you've already touched on some of the actions to resolve the issue of bullying. So sometimes, as you note, children and teenagers probably especially won't really want to confide in their parents about what's happening. So parents can look for red flags such as, is your child expressing concern about going to school or participating in a particular activity? I don't want to go to the swimming pool or I don't want to play soccer anymore. Uh, is your child having social connections or do you, do you hear about friends? Does your child get invited for play dates or to parties depending on their age? If you start recognizing signs that maybe your child is a little bit isolated socially or is expressing discomfort with engaging in activities or even going to school, those could all be signs that maybe that environment is not feeling safe. And being able to start a conversation either with your child or with other resources in that environment, talking to their teacher, talking to their coach, talking to other adults in the community can also be really helpful at trying to get a sense of what is going on. It's really important for children to recognize that bullying is about the bully. It's not about them and helping children make that distinction that it's not their fault if they're being bullied and it really reflects on the person who's engaging in that behavior is also a really important message to send. Yeah, that's a great comment. Thank you. And so you mentioned earlier, bullying can come in either physical or verbal forms. And it also occurs via social media, such as Instagram, Facebook, or even TikTok, which a lot of teens and young adults use. And research recently published by Facebook, who also owns Instagram, indicated that it's harmful to a sizable percentage of users, which represents mostly teenage girls. What can someone do if they find themselves in a circumstance where negative comments are being posted that ultimately impact relationships with friends or even a sense of well-being? So this is, of course, a really sad question because what we see time and time again is that cyberbullying is very common. This can be particularly true in cases in which comments can be posted anonymously. So people are not even owning their words, and that gives them a sense of being able to say or do something that maybe they wouldn't do if they had to own it. So I think there are a couple of solutions. I think one, 
for some teenagers, it can be helpful to restrict time on social media, that social media in general can make people feel bad and separating from social media when it's causing you distress can actually be very beneficial in terms of well-being in general. But in particular cases in which hateful or harmful comments are being made, it's important to talk to someone about that. That can be a teacher, it can be a parent, it can be friends who you trust, but reporting that behavior is important in part because comments that are made on social media and cyberbullying has in some high profile examples actually led to extremely harmful behavior, including cases of suicide. So comments that are made on social media are not harmless. And the person who is making those comments need to understand that that in fact can have very, very detrimental effects and that person needs to be stopped. So if there are repeated comments that are occurring on social media platforms that are targeting particular people, that actually is an opportunity for education and teaching people that those are not acceptable. And in fact, in some cases, that can be prosecuted in terms of cyberbullying. It often violates standards for what is acceptable in terms of school settings. And it's important to have adults in the community made aware of what is happening. Yeah. And isn't it true that the individual who's being bullied online needs to keep in mind the source is the internet to determine whether it's true or not? <laughs> Absolutely. And that, of course, is true for all of us, right? In all different right. kinds of circumstances, that people can post false and defamatory things, as we discussed earlier, with what can happen in a in-person setting, many times when there is cyberbullying, it's seen by other people. And those other people think it's horrible. Those other people don't blame the person who's the victim. They recognize that someone is the victim and they are in fact judging the person who is making the comments as doing something that is hateful. So it's important to recognize that most people don't engage in cyberbullying. Most people blame the person who is doing the bullying. It's not necessarily the case in which there is cyberbullying that other people are joining in. There could be a single person who's engaging in hateful comments or behavior but again, if other people don't speak up and say, stop doing that, or that's problematic, that behavior can continue. So it's also the responsibility of people in that setting. If they recognize or see cyberbullying, even if you are not the victim, you have a moral responsibility to call out that behavior and say, I totally disagree and stop making those comments about Jack or whatever. That's also the responsibility of other people who are witnesses to problematic behavior online. Yeah. Thank you for reinforcing that message. It's so important. So bullying or abusive behavior also occurs in the workplace or in public places such as the gym or restaurants. We hear a lot about coworkers making comments about flakes in the work area or on gym equipment. Can you provide an example of types of bullying in these kind of areas? And while we can't control the behavior of others, what actions can be taken to address bullying or verbal abuse? So this is a really important question. And as we talked about earlier, I think people have a range of different options. In some cases, people are making comments because they are ignorant, because they don't actually know what this condition is. So this is, again, a teachable moment. Having a short statement of, oh, you know, have no concern. This is psoriasis, a skin condition. Again, a very short, pithy statement that educates the person and assumes goodwill. 
in other cases, we really shouldn't assume goodwill because the person in fact has made repeated comments, has made comments even after having been educated. And in those cases, reporting those comments, again, if it's a workplace setting, obviously if it's in a public transportation or a restaurant, you may not have the same kind of recourse, but bullying in a workplace setting is problematic. The same way as problematic comments about somebody based on their gender or race or religion or sexual orientation, all of those can fall into the same category of discrimination, of bias, of harassment, and so on. And so in those cases, reporting the behavior to HR or to a colleague can be very effective in terms of teaching that person that these kind of comments are not acceptable. As we discussed before, if you are in a situation in which you see or hear someone say something problematic about somebody based on any kind of a condition, if you fail to speak up, even if you're not the one who's the victim in this case, you are also perpetuating that behavior. So it's not just the person who has a particular condition who is responsible for doing the education. Other people could also speak up. Hey, stop talking about Debbie's skin. Haven't you heard of psoriasis? My uncle has it. It's certainly not contagious and it's no big deal. Yeah, and so some people say psoriasis is just a skin rash. But in reality, psoriasis is an immune-mediated disease that lead to other diseases such as heart disease and diabetes. What comments can be made to help others truly understand that psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis are more than just a skin disease? I think it's important to recognize that we don't owe anyone an explanation of our health conditions. If you have diabetes or if you have high blood pressure or if you have psoriasis, you don't owe anyone on a bus, in a swimming pool, in the workplace, an explanation of your health. We don't have that expectation that I have to go around in my daily life and do this teaching. That's not your role. So I think it's important to not place too much responsibility on people with psoriasis that they have to spend their day-to-day -day lives educating the community about their health condition. It's no one else's business. So if you want to educate people, that's great, but it's not your responsibility. You can have a pithy, short statement and move off it. It's not the most interesting thing about someone. Oh yeah, that's so true. There's more to an individual than any disease that they have. So being the victim of bullying can lead to many psychological issues, which you've kind of touched on some already. Can you expand on what some of those issues may be and when to seek additional help? There's fascinating research in neuroscience that has shown when you experience social pain, being ostracized or ridiculed or teased, it activates the exact same part of the brain that is activated when you experience physical pain. When you step on a, a tap, when you have a paper cut, when you burn your arm with hot coffee, those parts of the brain that are activated in response to physical pain are exactly the same parts of the brain that are activated when you experience social pain. So what does this tell us? It tells us that bullying feels bad in the brain, the same as physical pain. It feels bad at a fundamental level. And so that means that bullying isn't harmless. It's not no big deal. The brain is interpreting it as pain. And we know that pain leads to stress, physiological arousal, anxiety, depression. So if you are experiencing repeated bullying due to anything, 
it can make you feel tremendously sad and it can lead to psychological harm. It can also lead to physical harm. So if you find yourself repeatedly feeling sad, anxious, depressed, it's important to get attention from a licensed therapist. And what methods or tip can you offer to help build self-awareness and confidence when dealing with a disease that can flare due to emotional or physical stress? Right. So I think a few things. One, it's really important to have some strategies that you know work for you to reduce stress. That can be things as simple as taking care of yourself physically. That can be exercising, getting enough sleep. It can be meditating. It's also important to have a set of tools that you feel comfortable with saying and speaking up if something is happening that is making you feel bad in your environment. So having a set comment, oh, you may think it's contagious, but it's a harmless skin condition. Or, oh, that's so interesting that you're concerned about my skin. Why do you ask? Again, there can be lots of other things that you do that are about self-care. It's important to recognize that reducing stress and practicing good physical and emotional health can go a long way towards feeling better in all different kinds of situations. And are there any resources available to help address bullying either at school or in the workplace? So there are obviously some major websites and national, even international organizations that are designed to help address different kinds of bullying. This can be things like stopbullying.gov or workplacebullying.org or suicidepreventionlifeline.org. So national organizations and websites can give lots of different tools and resources. But more locally, all schools, all workplaces have specific offices and prevention strategies that can be effective in terms of what are the tools to report bullying or to get tools and education for coping with a specific problem. Workplaces may have an ombudsman, for example. Within schools, health teachers or nurses may be particularly equipped to help students manage bullying. This can also be true for religious organizations or athletic teams. Looking at the local resources can also be really valuable in terms of providing tools and strategies to improve a situation in which bullying is occurring. Great. Thank you for providing those resources. Dr. Sanderson, do you have any final comments about bullying you'd like to share with our listeners today? I'll just say one final thing, and and that is, to me, the most important part about bullying is for people to recognize that when bullying is occurring, most people in a situation are blaming the bully for doing it. Bullies are not liked. Bullies are recognized for being bullies in the school, on public transportation, in the workplace. But bullying continues because bystanders stay silent. So to me, the most important topic is actually helping people speak up in the face of bullying because we can't put all of the emphasis on the person who is being victimized having to do the courageous act of calling out the bully. Instead, what we need are the people who are watching and staying silent. We need those people to speak up. And that is pretty much all of us. Yeah, that's a great call for action to end our podcast. Thank you so much for providing an enlightening look at bullying from, you know, how we perceive bullying to being an inspiration for others when we witness something wrong. Thank you again for taking time to be here today. Thank you so much for this invitation to talk about such an important topic. We all benefit from living in a world in which more people speak up in the face of bad behavior of all types. 
October is National Bullying Prevention Awareness Month. Do your part to address and prevent bullying. As Dr. Sanderson mentioned, if you experience bullying, talk to a parent, other adult, or at work, your human resources department. Learn more at stopbullying.gov or workplacebullying.org. For resources to help promote education to school staff, visit psoriasis.org forward slash R-O-U-R hyphen spot. Or for more information, contact the Patient Navigation Center by email at education at psoriasis.org. And finally, thank you to the following sponsors who provided support on behalf of Soundbites through unrestricted educational grants. Amgen, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Janssen, Novartis, Pfizer, and UCB. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Ghana, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.